Hey you guys, welcome to American Nightmare Podcast Presents. And this is Randall Sanborn Fields, the creator of the Golden Ninja Podcast. And it's nice to meet you. Um, I know I was supposed to drop an episode Friday, but uh, I was busy, so I couldn't do it. I couldn't, you know, I have to find time to record these episodes. Recording the episodes is the most difficult part because you have to find a super quiet environment. And uh, in China, that's kind of difficult to do, to find a, a, diff- uh, a, a very quiet environment. Um, and today I'm going to tell you why or how did I get to China from America. For those of you who don't know, I'm African-American and uh, I live in Shanghai, China. So that's basically one of my stories that I want to tell about. And I'm going to put this in in the category of alternate perspectives. You know, I got a whole bunch that are called alternate perspectives. And I'm going to tell you about um, how did I end up in China? Now, the sad thing about podcasts is in their, like, almost 20 years of existence, the the comments, like, how you're doing as a podcast, you can't really see that, right? And the communications between you and your followers, you can't really see that either. It has to be an independent of you know, uh, I guess of, of the podcast that you're doing, because you can't get comments on your website because I have a website and well, you can, but it's kind of weird. They have to actually download this app, which is, you know, it's much more difficult than it should be. And then you got to find out just because you like someone, you are you going to download this app? Are you going to try to find a comment section? Are you going to create an ID? And so that's why I don't get a lot of feedback, I think. You know, um, the only way you know you're doing good is if you're doing like Joe Rogan style and you're doing that good. Then, yeah, everybody knows. Oh, yeah, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. And uh, I'm thinking about making a, a YouTube channel for this American Nightmare podcast. Uh, however, I'm not so sure yet. Excuse me, sorry. This stupid phone, it's really fucking pisses me off. Anyway, I've been getting a little bit more feedback from some people who are trying to uh, interact with me. It's kind of difficult because you, when they give me a message and then I'll see it on my, my, uh, my Gmail, right? On my email. And then I see it on the email and it, it only has half the message there. You actually have to go to your app to open up the app to see the comment that someone's left. And then I can't even respond to them from my email. I got to go to the app to respond to them, which is, it's totally, it's, it's not, it's inadequate. Okay, and I guess Podbean is in its infancy or something like that. But uh, it's just like, come on, man. Like, you, it, I shouldn't have to, like, download an app in order to comment. 
So it's a lot of times I don't know uh, how my subscribers are, or people who are really like it or not or whatever. Maybe they don't. They don't have. Maybe many of them don't have Podbean. Maybe many of them don't have the Podbean app because you can only uh, uh, comment if you have the app. <laughs> you know. So this is is troubling, but you know I'm gonna, I'm gonna get through it. I'm sticking with Podbean. And uh, my American Nightmare has gone up in ratings, I guess, because it's now on a front page. So that's good of suggested titles that you should listen to. So now we're almost at 2,000 subscribers, which is a pretty nice number. And each episode, I guess, is getting like uh, over 200 hits. So that that's okay. I know I have 200 subscribers, but you know it's monthly, right? So it's like every 30 days, you know, I'm, I'm getting like 200 hits or something like that. So it's it's good. It's like a line, you know, cute. So um, how did I get to China? And this is very interesting. I hope I don't bore you to sleep. I am an alumni of SUNY Purchase College. I'm a New Yorker. I'm from New York City. If you listen to Beyond, um, Wrath of the Golden Ninja, which is, they have another one that I wrote and performed this Origin of the Golden Ninja, which, uh, yeah, that's the first chapter. I think most of y'all have listened to that. You know the story where I come from. I come from New York City. I was in a group home. And somehow I got... I'll tell that story later. Somehow I got admission into SUNY Purchase. Fully paid, which was, I was extremely lucky. So I got lucky with a, a fully paid scholarship to uh, SUNY Purchase. And while I was at SUNY Purchase, I kind of stayed there for the whole, like, I think I was there for like three years. So I stayed there for the whole three years. I, I didn't have any place to, to live, so I just lived there. Uh, because I was awarded the state, and all all the money that I had was going to uh, my my college, my education. You know, my books and uh, tuition was paid for, but not my food. You know, so <laughs> I had to pay for my food and other daily necessities. And you're only allowed to work a certain amount of hours with the federal work study program. So I was doing that, um, and by the time I hit my, I would say my last year, I knew I wanted to be a writer. But I know you, I knew you cannot really make money being a writer. How are you going to make money? How are you going to? I wanted to be a person. I wanted to write books. I wanted to be like a Stephen King, but not writing scary stuff. But I wanted to write like Stephen King. I wanted to be like a, a Ralph Ellison or something like this. And uh, I knew it was a very unrealistic goal, but this is my dream. I had dreams when I was tw in my 20s. And um, but then I got a job working in a computer lab, okay? And I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And then there was this opportunity with Peace Corps. So and uh, I decided to apply, but I heard that Peace Corps is really hard to get into. 
But I got into it. Again, luckily, kind of, I guess. And so I got into Peace Corps and it they were going to send me to because uh, I wanted to they asked you where you want to go if you can go if you wanted if you need to go somewhere would you go I had to go through like three interviews or something um, and I told them I wanted to go to Japan because I was very interested in, in Japanese culture and they say well we don't have Japan um, but we do have some place in the eight in Asia okay and so they offered me two places, and, and that was uh, the, I think it was called the Federated Islands of Micronesia, which were like these little small islands in the Pacific Ocean, I do believe. Um, and then there was another one uh, called, there was a, another country called Kazakhstan. I think it's Kazakhstan. And uh, Kazakhstan, I, I really didn't know what, kind of place that was uh it was small glish <laughs> but i never heard of this place and the internet wasn't that informative back in those days like in the early 2000s i would say like 2001 2000 the internet wasn't very informative so you couldn't find anything on kazakhstan um, you would have to find it in the books and, you know, there's really not that much information. Not like today where you could just look up Wikipedia where everything is just available to you. And so I was like, well, I don't want to go there either. And so I was online and then I began talking to this Chinese woman. And we kind of had built some kind of like a romantic relationship and she wanted me to come to China. And we had only saw like two two or three pictures of each other because in those days you you couldn't send pictures just like that. It, was, it, it took a, a huge, it was a huge undertaking uh, to get a picture because first you have to scan something. You have to scan, I think you had to scan the photo and then once you scanned it, then you had to email it to yourself and uh, at the time I was talking to her, uh, there were no such thing as uh, cell phone, uh, color cell phones. Like these kind of cell phones where you could send pictures and you could see th there was not that yet. So we were still using Yahoo Chat. You remember Yahoo Chat? So I sent her a picture through that way and she sent me a picture. And you just had to keep her in your mind. And she was very beautiful. Uh, me not so much I wasn't very handsome but I sent her a photo and we started talking and then she was like well why don't you come to China and I was like well I'm more interested in 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 Japan because I was talking with like two women one another one was from Vietnam but it wasn't so serious the one from Vietnam she wasn't very serious about meeting um, but I think we did do like a video chat that was like really intensely, really, really slow. Um, so yeah, me and the Vietnamese woman weren't very serious. We weren't talking like every night. We talked like every once a week or something, but me and this girl, we were talking like, uh, every day for like four or five hours or something like that. So 
Like, what are you doing? Da -da 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 -da. So she's like, I'm going to send you something to come to China. You want to teach in China? And I was like, I never, I've never taught before. I'm not a teacher. I don't want to be a teacher. Um, I'm, my interest is not being a teacher. I want to be a writer. And she was like, well, you can segue into writing from teaching. Most teachers are writers. She said, most writers, sorry. Most writers were teachers at some point. And she had a point, you know. <laughs> most writers were teachers. You know, and at that time I was reading Frank McCourt, uh, Angela's Ashes. And uh, I was reading also The Three Daughters of China, China by Zhong. Her name is Zhang Chang, I think. So I was reading these two books. And uh, so, you know, naturally I was getting interested in China. And I was like, eh, um, you know, I don't, I didn't really want to go to China to tell you the truth, because I really wanted to go to Japan. I knew kind of Japan more. I know Ch China was this mysterious country that I kind of knew absolutely nothing about. Even though you're reading and all this other stuff, you really didn't know about that. I didn't know about communism and all this other stuff. I knew there was communism, but I didn't grasp the full concept of communism, you know, um, but I was like, okay, yeah, uh, whatever, so then, like, I was, I think, like, uh, three weeks later, a letter comes in the mail for me, excuse me, I'm drinking beer, carbonated, sorry, good lord, so a few, what is it, a few days? few weeks sorry a few weeks yeah a few weeks sometimes I'm absent-minded so yeah um a few weeks later this letter came and it was an invitation letter to teach in Shenyang China which is the north of China very cold I didn't know that but it was it's the north of China very cold and uh in the winter time colder than New York much colder than New York and then very hot in the summertime much hotter in New York, but I decided, yeah, okay, uh, I I'll go, and then I started preparing myself, taking Chinese classes to learn a little bit of Chinese, which I did, and uh, I started reading a book called River Town by Peter Hessler, and uh, I think he was a I don't know if he was a writer for the New York Times or not, but uh, maybe not. I'm not sure, but. Peter Hessler, Rivertown, read that, and I knew that China was a homogenous country, and I wanted to know, well, how would they view a black person going there, you know? Um, now, my initial plan, before Peace Corps, my initial plan wasn't to leave New York, you know? I didn't want to leave New York. I wasn't interested in leaving New York. I wanted to be this great writer. And, uh, but then something came over me and it was just like, as the, it's looming, that period of graduation is looming and you're like, what am I going to do with my life? Am I going to be the same poor bum that I've been, uh, for the previous 20 years, this poor living hand to mouth, you know, uh, not fulfilling his dreams 
because New York is so expensive. I was so frightened, you know, like, what am I going to do? I don't know how to live on my own. Even though I, I was living on on my own, but, I, you know, uh, it was a scholarship. There was a support system. So it was like, okay. Um, so I was frightened. But another thing was is that in America, I was raised on race. So everything was about race. Like you black, white, black, white, black, white. It's, it's all about, always about race. About, what, you know, you get up in the morning, what color you are. You know, it's, it's, it's it, it, the news reminded you of who you are, you know, of who you were. Or people on the street reminded you you black or something like this. And you're reminded that you're different from others um, and maybe it's not the greatest thing to be different, you know, like you kind of reminded that and I, I kind of hated it because it's just like, I just want to be a human, a human being, uh, even though I was in heavily into, uh, race relations and race and things that had to do with race. I actually, I was dating a, a French Italian girl at the time um so this notion came up to me like let's explore other lands you know my my it was this like Star Trek or so you know how Star Trek like we gotta go to to discover other lands other civilizations you know like this and it just all of, all of a sudden it came up in me like why don't we get out of here why don't we get out of this country you know why don't you get a passport and just get out of here? And Peace Corps is the one that pushed me into doing that. Like, But I ultimately ended up uh, rejecting Peace Corps and just taking this lady's offer for China, even though they both accept they both accepted me. Um, and I was like, well, China is as close to Japan, I guess. It's not Kazakhstan. It's in that area of Asia that I want to be at at the moment. And maybe I could segue into to Japan after China, right? Um, and so, on my graduation day, my I had a mentor, and they were Jewish people. They were from uh, Scarsdale. Floyd Albert, Louise Albert. They both uh, have died already. God bless their souls. Rest in peace. They were very instrumental in me going to university. And just me having self-confidence in myself. Because I didn't have that uh, before they decided to help me. So I owe a, a lot of my success or perceived success to the Alberts in uh, Scarsdale and Hartsdale and Westchester. I think um, Louise Albert, I think her brother, who he has died also, uh, his name is Robert Spitzer, he developed the DSM. I think it was a DSM 1 or DSM 2. He's the one with, that came up with the idea for the DSM, the Diagnostic. The Diagnostic Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders or something. Uh, I 
forgot what you call it, but whatever. He 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 invented that. So so it, these this family was big, you know. Um, so I thank them for helping me. And so when I graduated, my mentor Louise and Floyd Albert, they gave me a thousand dollars. Okay, they put a thousand dollars in my hand. And they bought a a plane ticket one way to China. And I was like, wow. It was in the ticket, I think it was like $500 at the time. And it was like, good luck. And like, go east, young man. And so that that's how I got to China, you know. Uh, and so I, I started working in, in this school. I got on, on the plane. It was the I think it was the second time I ever been on a plane. The first time was with my adopted mother. We flew domestically. But this time I flew over water. It was international and it was like a what it was twelve or fourteen hour flight. It was a very long flight. And when I got off the plane, everything was just different. The voices, the the sounds, the words on. The the thing that most got to me was were the words everywhere. Because I had never really been and explored Chinatown. I'd never really been there except to buy my tickets, right? And when I went to buy my tickets, I was fascinated by that because all the words are in Chinese, right? I'm about to burp again. <laughs> Oof, this beer is highly acidic. Anyway. Um, so when I got to Shenyang, the words, they're all in Chinese and in, in Mandarin, of course, in Chinese. Uh, they call it Hanzi. So they're all in hands all of these words around. I don't understand anything around me. And the woman picked me up. And this woman took care of me for like, uh, I think like a couple of years. Before we parted ways on amicable terms. We didn't get married and become girlfriend and boyfriend. It's like, yeah, we had kind of like a fantasy relationship online. But when we finally came to meet each other. Like, um, I found that she's like, she's very clinging to her mother because there's some tragedy that happened to her moms. And, uh, you know, I was kind of fast. I don't know how you say like, but she was very, very traditional and I didn't, I wasn't down for that. And I knew she was traditional before I came there, but I thought I could like, shake some of the tradition off of her and stuff and and it didn't happen so i just we kind of just went our ways in terms of romance but a friendship we kept our friendship through the years uh tried to keep the communication right now i don't have her communication because it's like as it evolved all this communications and then we we evolved from one device to another i just lost her information so it's just kind of like but she helped me uh, to get here um, And So you know When I got to China It was all of these words and stuff And 
I, it was the fascination with everything. It was like, I thought New York was this bustling and everything, but just in the city alone, Shen, Shenyang, all these things are going on because I got there in July. It's, I'm glad I got there in July, not like in wintertime. Like, um, because it was like, it was very beautiful. I got in there in the most beautiful time of the year. And it was just, wow. You don't understand. It's like teleportation. You teleport from one place, which is America. All you, all you ever known was New York City. And then you finally in China. This is another world. It was so fascinating. And when I had that ticket that my mentor bought me, I had promised myself, I was like, I ain't never coming back here. At least not for a long time. And I said that to myself and, you know, to myself. And it was like, why would I say something like that? I ain't never coming back. Because I was so eager to get out of the United States because I felt that it had hindered me in some way. That the United States hindered me in, in some way. And to this day, I do still believe that, that it, it would have hindered me in my processes and I would have just been just a broke mouth mother brother, you know, living hand to mouth, whatever. So I felt hindered instinctively by living in uh, New York. And I felt instinctively that I had to get out of this place. I had to change my life or forge a new path. And so I went east and uh, Shenyang was was a great endeavor, I would say. It, it, it was a great endeavor. And one of the things that, had, that, that I had to worry about though, and I'm gonna talk about that in future episodes in another alternative perspective, is discrimination and racism, which I didn't know that I would have to deal with that when I came here. So that was something that I kinda had, unfortunately, to get used to is was the like colorism and racial discrimination like this kind of thing like this like blatant racial discrimination uh, but I won't talk about that now I'll talk about that like maybe in the next episode uh, I could kind of tell you what China was like now though uh, so when when I got there uh, I was gonna teach in this university and uh, it was just English, like uh, simple English stuff. But the thing is, they did not give you any kind of training. So you didn't have any training, any experience teaching. And the kids were like maybe three years younger than you, two years younger than you. So they were like your peers and you're just like, how can I teach these kids like they're the same age as I am almost? I was only like 23. Uh, I think it was like 23, 24. Yeah, 24, 25. When 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 I when I came to 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 China, so I was like 24, 25, and I'm like, how can I teach these kids? These people, my peers, they're not even kids, right? That was really hard. 
because they didn't give you any kind of they gave you like this booklet that it had like Brady Bunch 1960s English in it and it's like this in no way reflects how we speak today in the new millennium you know this is like 40 years old the chalkboard was 40 years old everything was like years and years old I'm talking about from 1960s this had to be like 1960 or 1980s maybe and but in America if you looked at this stuff it would be like yeah this is 1960s but in China you know they're kind of 20 years behind everything so it was just like yeah they developed this in 1980s and now I'm here right teaching this stuff and um The chalk was kind of dusty. So, like, if you wrote on the board, and the board was very dry. So, if you wrote on a board, it was just dust would just float everywhere into your nose, everywhere. You had the erasers that were just like, they retained every particle of dust. So, even if you touched the board a little bit, it just all came out. It was crazy. Um, they didn't have any, like, equipment or multimedia that you could use. So in my school, I was used to all this multimedia, VCRs, DVD players, you know. Uh, and then if you wanted to explain something, you can you can do use these kinds of things, right? These audiovisual uh, techniques, you know, to explain your points. And uh, in Shanghai, Shenyang, sorry, there was not this kind. There wasn't these things. There was only a television. Hmm. A television that was like, it was craned. It had a crane. And it could crane up or down or something like this. Uh, it's like 30, what? Like 27-inch television, right? And you had a whole bunch of, you had like 50 students. And they're all supposed to watch this one small television. So we had that. Uh, the floors were made of like um, this really old marble you know, like if you walk in, not if you walk into like the public library, it's like mosaic, like um, the marble with the mosaic on it. Like they had all this, you know, the mosaic marble on the floor if you walk in some place. So it was like mosaic type of marble, all these different colors and all that other stuff. But it was kind of like cheaply made and it was, wasn't really marble. It was like concrete made to look like marble that was some of the classes um but the other classes that the floor was just plain um kind of chalkboard looking concrete so you had some of that uh it depended on what class you went into the desks were very old they had to be from 1980s um and so then you have 50 students that were just like ruckus crazy you know and at that time i thought english was so important but it, i f i came to find out it's not so important it was kind of just like a, f a face i was the face of the english department and i didn't realize that that i was supposed to be that i had this big burden on me and at that time i was very immature so i was like how can I teach these? I can't teach them. Like, I don't know how to teach because they saw me as young. And so they didn't respect me as much. And I didn't know the Chinese culture enough 
to understand uh, what I needed to do and how successful this was going to be, right? Because each class was only 40 minutes, but you didn't have anything to teach them with. Like there was no, you needed multimedia to, to really get them to understand stuff or to be interested. And all you had was a chalkboard and you. And I don't think they learned very much from me. And I kind of look at that moment in my life as a cringe moment because first I didn't represent Americans very well. Okay. Um, because I didn't do well at all. Okay. I ended up in one year, I ended up getting let go at that school because I absolutely had no idea what I was supposed to be doing. No one was helping me. Now, this is not to say that it was the school's fault. These, these people were extremely nice. Like the person that was looking out after me, um, I remember her name, right? Uh, she was extremely nice. She was a nice woman and she tried to help me as much as she, she could, but it was just, they chose her cause she could speak English, you know, and maybe her desire wasn't to do something like this, but she tried her, her best to help me. It was just miscommunication. It was just bad, right? Didn't work out. The second thing was that I, it was a bad representation for African-Americans. And I ain't gonna put too much into it because I wanna explain racism in China in another episode. Um, but once you do something wrong as like a foreigner and you don't do it right, and especially as, as a foreigner, you, when people see you in China, if you're white, they see you as a foreigner, okay? If you're any of the color shades of white, you're seen as a foreigner. Doesn't matter what country, it's just a foreigner, blah, blah, blah. And at that time, every white person was American or English. If you're black, uh, you're not only seen as a foreigner, but you're also seen as a black person. So. If you do something like out of, that is not too savory or you didn't do well at your job, for instance, they most likely will not hire any more black people because you messed up so much and they think that, oh, all black people are like this. Whereas if it's a white person that did the same exact things or didn't do the same exact things that I did, um they would say, okay, well, this is a foreigner. You know, foreigners are like this. But they would still hire a a white person. You understand? Or a foreigner or whatever. Whereas if it's black, you are going to... You represent your whole... Well, they think you represent the whole race of... The whole genetic... <laughs> whatever the the genetic DNA structure of what it is to be black. You represent that all. And if you mess up and I didn't realize how important this role was because there weren't a lot of Afri uh, African-Americans in China at this time in early 2001. Like, and I'm going to tell you that like next time, like uh, what will happen? <laughs> okay. What, what will happen? I'll explain that next time. Um, but I got a room and the room was uh, very bare, 
It was basic. wasn't nowhere near as great as my college dorm rooms. It was very bare. In these days, I wouldn't probably wouldn't accept that. But it had two rooms, same marble kind of floor, um, very old rickety furniture. But the people were nice. That's what I have to say. And my stipend every month, and I had to get used to being paid by month and not every two weeks. Because United States, of course, you get paid every two weeks. In China, you get paid every month. And I was getting uh, $500 a month. A thousand, a thousand, three thousand renminbi. So they call it renminbi or the Chinese yuan. So I was getting uh, three thousand renminbi per month. At that time, it was like eight to one. So it was eight RMB to one. So it, it came to a, a little over $500 uh, a month, which it went okay in, 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 in Shenyang because I didn't have to pay for my apartment. And even with 3000 I could still pay for an apartment in, in China and still have an abundance of money left over. Okay. Unless you decided to do Western things. When you decided to do Western things where things were like went into 100 yuan and that's something really expensive, you know, um, then you would, then you would just like spend all your money. But if you lived within your means, it was a good, it was an okay salary at that time in the year 2000. And so... Um, yeah, so that's, that's what happened in my first time there. I had my little room, had two, um, uh, rooms, two apartments, or two, an apartment with two rooms, sorry. It's more like a dormitory apartment, kind of. It wasn't really a professional apartment. Like, in the winter, it was really cold. Uh, if you didn't turn on the heat, it was, like, freezing, but they, you know, they had good heating. But the floor was all like marble. There wasn't any carpet, so it was cold uh, in the winter time. I try not to stay there so often. And I had bought like, I think I bought like, I must have spent like what, like five hundred dollars on DVDs. Yeah. It was like 500 to 1000 Because I had saved money for China too. My mentor gave me some money for China. So I had spent like five to 800 five to 100 to 1000 on DVDs because I was told that they don't have DVDs in China, like all this other stuff. They don't have all these kind of things. and But they did have DVDs at those times. And I just, you know, I was like, oh my God, I just spent all this money on DVDs. Yeah, so I started spending some, you know, I spent money on these kind of things and I really shouldn't have because in China they had already had the technology of they were like of course they were behind so it wasn't they didn't have DVDs per se until like a year or two later but they had uh SVCDs which is like um video disc video computer disc or super video computer disc where you can fit like <laughs> like 30 or 40 movies on one like uh, computer disc or something and they called it a VCD but the quality was like horrible and stuff like that so they had that they had things like that and right when I came to right when I came to the 
to to the university, they started using monochrome um, phones. So the first phone I had was like the Nokia Brick, and it was not the, you know, the one that didn't have a light. It was like you had the one that's like the background was yellow and then the words were black. No, this one was like it was a bluish black. So the b background was bluish, was blue, right? Bluish. And then the words were black. So it was like colored, mon it wasn't colored monochrome, but it was monochrome with the black, with the blue background. And so I had this kind of phone. That was my first phone. Um, the lady had helped me buy it. I think it was like, what it was like, God, it was, was it expensive? It was like a hundred dollars or something. It was like a hundred dollars, even for that time. So it was like at a uh, hundred dollars. And then that was my first phone. My first cell phone was in China, you know? <laughs> so I had, I had used a cell phone before, but in America it was crazy expensive. It was like the Philips phone, the Philips cell phone. And I remember one time I was on a phone with somebody for like an hour or something. And it was like 200 bucks. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> where am I going to get this money from? You know, like I ended up paying it off, but it took me a while. Uh, but that's the only kind of phone I, I kind of had, you know, that was kind of truly mine. And so when I got to China, I got my first cell phone. And then soon after, I got my first girlfriend. I'll tell you about her, Little Five. Uh, in another episode so this is the end of this episode in terms of talking about China I do want to um, give people some shout outs that gave me comments so right now I'm on the app of uh, Podbean and there are some recent comments that I want to see I hope it works yeah there's some people um, okay, there was a, a guy named, there was a, a girl, okay, wait, let me see the guys first, there was a guy named Bamorga, he says, Randy, I'm, I'm enjoying the book, soundtrack is perfectly complimentary, Yvonne is evil, not too late to report her if she's still alive, <laughs> And then there was a woman named Becca, and she said, I just started to listen to this podcast. It's wonderful. I just want to let you know that you are blessed with this gift. This will help guide young men who are uh, who are going through something, I guess. Um, I wish the Golden Ninja was real. Thanks for all that you do. See, that, you know, like that kind of comment it really moves me. This is the kind of stuff that pushed me to write more and better and stuff like that so every time I, I i don't feel like getting up to write something or or um doing the audio i go back and read these comments and say okay well i gotta get up and do this so um eo says hey man um flag needs golden ninja powers golden ninja's powers this is great <laughs> uh eo eio uh, jared Seifer, he says, I love how the two stories see that. So that's the thing I'm talking about. Like, 
they don't even show you the whole message. If even if you respond to the message, you can't see the whole message. It's really like an archaic form of comment design. Um, DNA 1.0 has given me a lot of comments, although I can't see them on here, like at this time. But EO and and um, Jared Sepia and uh, DNA, they give me a lot of comments. A person named Debunked. He wrote something. He says, love the story. Keep it rolling. Thank you so much. And he says, this is a great story. I love it. Keep them coming. So he that was seven hours ago. And that was American Nightmare Podcast presents Wrath of the Golden Ninja, Chapter 11. So I'm guessing he's enjoying this. And I guess my writing is not crap, <laughs> which is always great to know. Uh, so, yeah, those are the people that said some stuff in, in recently. I haven't checked my reviews, although I should, but I doubt if I got any more new reviews. But I would like some reviews, if you could. Just go to, uh, if you have an iPhone and you go to your podcast and you got my podcast loaded up, you could write comments. And even if you, you're on a different platform than Podbean, maybe on CastBox, you know, uh, maybe on Spotify, write a comment because I read them. I'm, I'm, I'm going all over and I'm reading them. That's the, that's the problem. This is what I'm talking about. You got to go to all different kinds of uh, platforms to read every last comment and review it. So it's, it gets crazy, you know. Um, but yeah, so that's it for this episode and I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, the chapter 23 is coming out on Friday. And I hope you enjoy that. So, peace. Stay sharp, people. Stay sharp.